everyone. Welcome back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach, and I'm here with Brandon. Hey, guys. And today we're going to be talking about the Save the Children movement that's taken off on Facebook and other social media sites. And then generally, pedophilia and sex trafficking, as those have all been real hot topics in the news lately. To start the episode off, we wanted to just give a little bit of background and some some facts and some stats just so that you guys understand the issues and what's going on, but then we can just open it up to discussion. So at any point, feel free to drop a comment into the chat and we'll try to address it as soon as possible. Outside of that, if you'd like to, once we kind of go through the, the overview and the, the background and things like that, if you'd like to unmute your mic and talk verbally, that's fine too, whatever you feel comfortable with. But yeah, we'll just jump right into it. The Save the Children movement has started recently on social media. The origin of it came after a response of First Lady Michelle Obama after the Bring Back Our Girls that focused around 300 um, black girls in Africa that were taken and they wanted to bring those back. In America, they also saw that the rise in the, the consistent number of around 64,000 black women are being unaccounted for going missing and getting kidnapped in America and that the numbers are not being reported. We'll get into how it was uh, meandered into a different type of thing, but initially it was just to bring light to the level of kidnappings happening in America and the level of rise of pedophilia that's becoming more and more present in our dialogue within America. And there's a lot of pushback on shows and TV executives that are having um, these encounters with pedophilia. We're canceling, you know, people are canceling with the hashtag save our children or save the children. These individuals that participate in people who might take away kids. Yeah, and all of those things that you mentioned have had different instances throughout the past several months to year that have exacerbated it. The biggest one that most people are probably familiar with is the Epstein case, where Jeffrey Epstein was charged with sex trafficking crimes. It came out that he had a private island where he would facilitate sex trafficking with a lot of high profile, allegedly with a, a lot of high profile individuals, politicians, Hollywood stars, etc. And so as that started coming out, that then spiraled into the overall movement and the increased, I guess, exposure to the issue. And so more recently, that has been exacerbated by different issues, such as shows that have been, like you mentioned, shows that have been put up on Netflix or on other platforms that a lot of people have taken as... Exploitation um, of, of, of young kids. Like one of the, one of the um, shows that people are starting to get a bit of word of is um, a show called Cuties. Uh, mm -hmm. Zach, have you heard about this show? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a new show coming out, mm -hmm. but Cuties is based off of a dance group of a bunch of 11-year-olds in a twerk contest. So twerking is typically associated with being inappropriate for general television, and it's looked down upon, you know, with any adults that do it. But the fact that 11-year-olds, you know, little girls are parading themselves in this manner, in this sexualized manner, though some may see it as dancing, it can exacerbate pedophilia-like uh, energies that people would like to uh, cast out, so to speak. Right. So with that show specifically, Netflix actually got a lot of backlash against the imagery that they associated with the show. They had to pull a promotional image, a, a poster that they had set up for the show that had the girls, the actresses that played the girls in the show posing in various, in, in various poses. Yeah. Yeah. That were fairly, fairly provocative, especially for 11 year olds. So it immediately got a lot of backlash and was proposed that Netflix was condoning or encouraging pedophilia with the imagery. That show, since we're, we're on that topic, I think we can touch briefly on, on the Sundance oh, issue and, and the news uh, articles that have related to that. The show that we were talking about, Cuties, on Netflix, had won an award at a French film festival, Sundance. Ironically, one of the co, I believe it was one of the co-founders of Sundance was recently charged with pedophilia for sexual assault on a nine-year-old girl and pled guilty to the charges. And so that has only inflamed the issue more. It's only, I guess, substantiated a lot of the claims that people have made about Netflix and about the, the show Cuties in general, because part of the, I guess, argument back against the pedophilia argument on Netflix was, well, it won an award. It was meant to 
speak on these issues about femininity and these other things. But now that it's the award show itself has come under fire, that then substantiates a lot of those presumed messages of the show. On top of the on top of the show, on top of Epstein, mm-hmm. there is the more generalized Save the Children movement, who which you described the the startings early on, mm-hmm. and actually today has led to a lot of protests and marches and gatherings and things of that nature. Specifically, uh, just human trafficking, just bringing light to it. So the pandemic. This is one of the news stations local within Columbus, one of the uh, Ohio's one of the areas where sex trafficking is prominent. Uh, it says like the pandemic is has caused a rise in human trafficking. They said has risen since February, and they said that they're going to see numbers continue to spike throughout the year. So I guess this is starting to bring a light. It kind of coalesces a lot of different things that are kind of different uh, tied in many different ways. I, we could talk about the numbers and how it's ballooned up. So right now on Facebook alone, it's roughly 2.2 million people are talking about it. And you just have people with different numbers across their face showing their uh, support and showing support towards Save Our Children. But then you have different organizations like QAnon who are like hijacking and different things and different organizations trying to like combat uh, the message or the uh, information individuals are trying to spread about child trafficking and human trafficking and child exploitation. So I think it's important to bring up that Save the Children is an actual organization. They have no association with the, the hashtag, with the, the movement that has started. They predated this movement for a long time and have come out officially as saying that they're not associated with this. And so I think it's important to talk about both sides of this movement that are coming about because of it. You know, on the one hand, like you said, there is an incredible increased visibility of these issues. There's so many people, you know, millions of people talking about these issues now that either weren't aware before or didn't care or otherwise just weren't involved, right? And so I think that on that end of it, it is absolutely a good thing. It's absolutely great that the word is getting out that more people are becoming aware of these issues. It's leading to this movement that, and these marches and things like that that may actually get stuff done. On the other hand, I think it's also important to acknowledge the fact that it is at least being attempted to be hijacked by organizations like QAnon and others. So for those of you who aren't aware of what QAnon is, Basically, it is a far-right group of conspiracy theorists that, I guess the gist of it is they believe that there is a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles that basically run, run everything. It's, it's basically the Illuminati. They run government, they run Hollywood, they run our major institutions. So the claim is safe. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of that is unfounded and very evidenceless and, and crazy conspiracy theories, right? That said, the organization has been using this movement to garner a lot of new support, a lot of new followers, because by associating themselves with a seemingly innocuous and helpful cause, they are then able to convert those who don't know who QAnon is, what they believe and what they stand for, into then passive and moderately involved followers that then could join their cause. And so it's interesting how this thing has been twisted into both a very just and very righteous cause and simultaneously being hijacked. And something almost politicized, because originally... There was no one side, one side when it came to the advocacy of bringing more awareness to child trafficking. Mm-hmm. But now with the QAnon and the way they wanted to hijack it and how they're going against different political leaders. And granted, with the Epstein cases and all the information that's coming out and the murders associated with it, unfortunately, sparks a lot of concern and I guess a lot more light to it than, than normal. And that's starting to bring about boiling theories have been that's been scattered throughout our society and now starting to coalesce, leading to this far uh, group starting to almost hijack the uh, new movement. Right. And it also leads to cluttering of helplines and things like that to where tip lines and other sex trafficking organizations, or rather organizations to help stop sex trafficking, are getting their helplines completely jam-packed and getting tips of random things that are more so conspiracy theory linked as opposed to real evidence-based accusations and things that could actually help. So it's actually setting back some of these organizations on some level as well. You're unmuted, so feel free if you've got something to Is say. Is that me? Can you hear yes. me? Yes, okay. we can I'm hear you. I'm not great at Zoom, so. <laughs> That's like all right. My first. Um, but it, in response, I am not 
an advocate of conspiracy theories or of that organization. However, um, I worked for three years in Arizona with, uh, in a group home for girls who were half a step from juvie and were considered to be emotionally disturbed, it was the term at the time. And it was a, it was a group home for 20 girls. And they, it ranged, there was a whole range of, of, of girls there. But one of the things that impressed me, because I'd never heard this before, uh, there were different girls at different times over three years. And the first time I heard one talk about being forced into this satanic ritual and there was a baby killed and whatever, I just thought, oh, this is just really made up silly stuff. <laughs> but over those three years, I heard some of the most disturbed girls discuss that. So I don't, I, you know, it's not the heart of sex trafficking. That's a whole different thing, I think. But I think we can't, sometimes things are so horrible, we just want to say they don't exist. It's like my mother and her two siblings were abused on their farm up in Wisconsin as kids at the church for years. And back then, no one would believe that, the pedophilia, you know, it was just dismissed mm -hmm. and parents wouldn't believe, nobody would believe. And I think we're to the point where some of the most horrific aspects we don't want to believe, but that does take place some time. Now, my partner and friend is in computer security. And so in schools, they have, they set it up and then there are certain code words that will immediately indicate to the person, the administrator, that they need to listen in on that conversation. It's safety reasons. And there was a case the FBI was involved in. Um, this was a Ohio teacher. He was going to purchase a baby for the purpose of drowning him. And I guess there's a whole group of people who are into that. And the baby was in Florida. And they were able to stop it. Um, the FBI arrested him and the whole thing. Fortunately, I don't know what happened to that child. But I do know that some of the things that are going on are things we don't want to believe. I don't think it's orchestrated by a group. I don't think there's a satanic, you know, huge group out there. But I do know in my own experiences that there are some really terrible things and we cannot just ignore them. Just like when my mom and her siblings were being abused, they shouldn't have been ignored up there in this lovely, idyllic rural Wisconsin community. So I, I just wanted to put that, that in and say that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to acknowledge that all conspiracy theories, even those that wind up getting to the point where they're extremely radical, extremely unfounded and crazy, for lack of a better term, they're always founded in a grain of truth. Right. Always. And so there's always something in it that whether it's to gain followers or to propel the story, there's always some grain of truth to it. You know, even the, the, the Hollywood aspects of it, no one would believe that there is any grain of truth before Epstein's cases happen. Right. I was, I was also just about to ask, because the person who just got on was talking about how much we don't want to believe it until there was even an Epstein thing. People, the idea that Clinton and Epstein were buddies has been around since that picture was taken. That's, mm -hmm. that's been a known thing. But until everything came together and people still doubt it, regardless if he killed himself or supposedly killed himself or individuals who were supposed to try against the case, their son died by accident because originally a hit for uh, the actual judge themselves by a lawyer from, like, there's just so much to it. Right. It's almost like at what point is it more just than a grain of salt or now it's like, you know, the full salt lick itself. For sure. And I think that's why, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to come across like I'm supporting QAnon because absolutely not. The more you look into QAnon, the more you realize how self-contradictory their statements are. You know, so believing everything that QAnon says is one thing that's not reasonable. Believing the fact that there may be problems with sex trafficking that we aren't aware of, that there may be some kind of issue with those that have a lot of money just having access to stuff like this, I, I think it's reasonable to at least acknowledge. And I think that that aspect of this movement is good, that it is bringing some of this to light that otherwise wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. And I think that it has the potential to have a lot of good impact down the line. Now, that 
is assuming that most people can think for themselves and double check their sources that they're posting and double check the, the theories that they're sharing and all of that so that we can weed out some of the ridiculous and weed out some of the baseless accusations against people. Right. But, but it's important to recognize that a lot of this stuff does happen and that a lot of this is worth at least talking about. Of course. I mean, a lot of it start. I mean, I think the one of the biggest pushes to create this snowball of what we're seeing is when the uh, anonymous, uh, I guess the irony there, the anonymous hacker, anonymous came out and released, quote unquote, the black book of Epstein. And they've been known to find credible things across uh, the world in regards to taking down higher up leaders and different organizations. And Epstein has been known to have all these uh these tapes and have his name the name of his apartment is bikini bottom and pizzagate which is another uh separate uh hashtag that's starting to really pick up steam that includes different celebrities but a lot of these things are starting to come about because we saw many celebrity names and the ties between celebrity names and pedophilia in hollywood is not uncommon we've seen many stories many people come out that were abused within hollywood and people almost spoke about this but didn't it's, it's very murky waters and it's very easy for a group like QAnon to come in and hijack it because up until maybe a week ago, I didn't even know the association between the hashtag and this group. It's like the group took the took the reins and went along with it. And now that's the whole premise behind it when I think many people wouldn't even associate the two. And so to those that don't know what QAnon is to begin with, forming that association, they could very well be a harmless anti-sex trafficking advocacy group or coalition of people who care very much about stopping pedophilia. That's absolutely not true. And so it's important to recognize, you know, and understand where a lot of this starts. But that said, there was something there for QAnon to latch onto. Like you said, it, it had started before them. And so there is something there that they're wanting to associate their name and brand with for sure to be clear are you calling uh, QAnon a conspiracy theory or are you calling it more a a loosely believed what, what are you calling it exactly i mean it is a conspiracy theory right at its core they're a collection of far-right conspiracy theories that are often unsubstantiated and self-contradictory at a lot of times. You know, like I said previously, like with any conspiracy theory, there's some grain of truth underlying it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a conspiracy theory. But yeah, I think at least, you know, at least personally, I would say that QAnon is a, a group of conspiracy theories that while there may be some truth to some of the elements of it, it yeah. itself is, is a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And the okay. reason why, I guess there's more backing behind that because QAnon has been known to be, and you, it's interesting you say very far right wing. They're, they're very far right because they've been known to put out false information about COVID-19, Black Lives Matter protests, and now they've taken up the anti-vaccine. So apparently QAnon almost had did like a split where they're putting out anti, anti-child trafficking saying the numbers aren't that big of a deal. They're saying, they're saying it's a distraction to the uh, presidency and the election coming up. Like there's a lot of deterring information they're putting into uh, more of a left-wing type of hashtag to bring light to this. Well, that's why it's almost looked at as a conspiracy because it's not necessarily rooted in anything. Definitely. It kind of reminds me dangerously so of Scientology and like Hollywood. Right, uh, right, where right. <laughs> Yes. Because like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a real conspiracy theory, right? Where they, if an actor sort of speaks out against it, suddenly they have sex charges against them and all these people come forth and. Right. Like Harvey Weinstein wants one example <laughs> I, I don't, and I'm not I'm not saying for or against Weinstein or anything like that. I'm just saying that's also a defense as well. So it's very very convoluted because of things like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, QAnon has also been beginning to become accepted on some of the political right too, which is giving the movement more credibility and the right less credibility. Um, I don't know if you saw, I don't remember what state it was that a QAnon supporter won a, was it a house seat? Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was a QAnon supporter who won the Georgia primary um, and is likely headed to Congress right now. And so you see this almost blind acceptance. Well, I don't want to say blind because I don't know how deep into it they are, but you see this acceptance of it on the right that I think is dangerous. I think that 
you know, we've talked about how there are aspects of this movement and the causes that they are starting to stand for that have credibility and have certain reason to be discussed. But when you accept it in its, in its totality and then you're now in Congress, that's a dangerous precedent to set. Right. And because there's so many different associations with QAnon and other, uh, I guess, debunked conspiracy theories such as QAnon, like Pizzagate, has also come to light due to this. And a lot of it is due to the information we've all been given just as a rush. Like, because so much is going on, everyone's at home, you're able to pick up every piece of uh, material. But I do have a general question to um, the individuals listening. What is your stance? Like, what? how do you, when you see all this information on, on like, like, the breakouts of uh, how these hashtags blow up and the information we're getting around it and the whole Epstein, like how it all ties together. How are you taking in this information and how would you like almost explain it? Like what about it strikes out to you, so to speak? I mean, I think it really comes down to, you got to look at the facts, right? You got to break it down and sort of come up with your own. You got to look at left-wing news sources, right-wing news sources, and then you got to look at the facts and then sort of break them down as, and filter out exactly what, it, what there is left over. That, and that's, that's the, the truth you know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the rest is really sort of propaganda. Would you say that if the Epstein thing, Epstein thing didn't come out, that you wouldn't have guessed that that whole elaborate labyrinth of uh, children and taking people and world leaders, would you believe that to be the case at all if the information didn't come out? I mean, no, I, w- I would totally think that these types of things happen. And I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think Epstein was the first, you know, <laughs> really talking like publicly. I mean, people knew about these things, right? There's, there's a reason why I uh, was Dexter had an episode of ba- basically exactly that, that exact same thing in Florida, right? right. There was, uh, I, I just brain farted. I forgot what the other example I was going to come up with is, but like there's examples already in the public that these things do exist it's just people don't want to believe them usually, right? And it's innocent until proven guilty from a sociology aspect. You're looking to the community and people that know this person. They don't want to believe they're living next to, you know, or that they've gotten close to somebody like this. Not from afar, if in like somebody more distant in the community might be like, yeah, yeah, that dude's sketchy. Like, I don't know them that well. So, <laughs> but uh, you, so you also have people that are willing to jump on it and uh, come up with the opposite perspective as well. Yeah, and so I think it's important to acknowledge that there's a difference too between accepting something as fact and accepting the possibility of something. And I think that both, so from a science perspective, you have to be both open and skeptical. You have to be open to possibilities of certain things, but you also have to be skeptical of everything that you see and find and read, et cetera. And so I think both of those come into play when it comes to stuff like this, too, that starts spreading, you know, across social media and other platforms. You have to be open to the fact that, you know, sure, something like this might happen. Something like this might be possible. And so don't, you know, immediately cast away anything that isn't overly substantiated and proven by, you know, multiple sources, but also be healthily skeptical of anything that isn't proven so far. We have one other person in the chat with their hand up. I think they wanted to address your your point, Brandon. Yes, and I wanted to say too, what I really liked and I think kind of said a little bit of the same thing, but not quite, was the first speaker who talked about how, and I keep telling people they have to do this, you have to watch the left-wing stations and you have to watch the right one. And it hurts to watch the one that's not, you know, where your mindset is, but it's the only way that you start to put together that truth. And you said open and skeptical. And I think to be open and skeptical, again, that means watching both kinds of media. What's not stress is the damage it does to these kids. I don't know anyone who's had a pedophile (laughs) abuse them who has not suffered greatly throughout the rest of their life. And I've worked with a lot of kids with behavior problems. And when you start to learn their histories, it's the history of so many of them. I, I think that's, it's super important to discuss how the impact that it's having on the children I think that that is often lost in the sea of accusations against the elites and the and the rich and how dare they and all of this that it's much more focused on the criminal justice aspect of it, Mm -hmm. which don't get me wrong, is very important. 
But while the criminal justice part is very important, I think that the focus on the children and rehabilitating them and having some understanding of the impact that this is having on them is equally, if not more important than the criminal justice side. You know, most sex trafficking, most people have this idea of sex traffic in their, in their head that it's largely, you know, the strange, creepy dude who kidnaps you and puts you in your, his basement in chains and then shuttles you off to some other country to be sex trafficked. And th- those things happen, sure. The egregious cases where it's someone rich or famous or what have you, those, those happen as well. But unfortunately, like the majority of sex trafficking cases happen with close family or friends. And happen within the United States. A lot of people have this conception that it's going to be like taken. And granted, there's a decent amount of cases that do end up like that. But a lot of it happens in these these almost these power states of sex trafficking. You have um, some people say Washington, uh, Ohio, Atlanta, Florida, New York, all these major cities, even Texas. Uh, we're seeing uh, this sex trafficking starting to climb. And I think to the point of what was previously said, a lot of these children are being affected. And it starts not it starts in the home, but the family is almost an area where many people would see some type of pedophilia, whether it be touching or molestation of an individual or of a family member or a cousin, what, what have you. That's unfortunately, that's not being discussed. And many people do have the fear of that discussion. Maybe that's what's fueling the lack of fluidity with the information that we should be getting about cases like this. Like there wouldn't be a QAnon if it was more comfortable for people to speak on such topics like this. Like that's what makes it so taboo. And I think like if you're really looking into that, the thing you got to talk about the most, which people don't want to, is what's the motive? Is it, you know, the money or uh, something wrong with the individual or just greed or what? And I think you don't want to say that about a family member, right? Of course not. not well, not, not inherently, but some, unfortunately, that might be happening to be said sometimes. Right. You know, the more that these extreme cases get publicized and discussed, and again, it's, it's also, it's all very important to discuss, but the more the general public has this imaging of sex trafficking in their head that it is all these extreme cases that we've discussed, these extreme situations that happen, but maybe not as commonly, the easier it will be for cases like that, where it is family or a close friend or something to be swept under the rug and to go unnoticed because no one will be focused on the uncle who dropped their kid off at the park to be picked up later by another person because it seemed perfectly normal and not like a case of sex trafficking because that's not what they heard about and that's not what they had seen on social media. Right. Um, it looks like we've got someone in the chat wants to jump in. Yeah, that's me again. I just want to mention, as you were talking about how unwilling people are to talk about this topic, about 25 years ago, I had joined, you know, those organizations where you send $20 or $15 a month and you have a child goes to school in Kenya right. or wherever. Um, I had done that for several years. I received little letters and pictures and I felt good about it. And then they must have had a new person come into the thing who wrote the newsletter that we always got because this newsletter said we respect all the local customs and thus the girls you know have had their clitoridectomies and I realized that the girl that I had been supporting who was no longer in school because she was married about the age of 16 I felt responsible for this. And I started writing everyone. I wrote Oprah. I wrote the government. I wrote every TV show that's, you know, handles controversy. I never got one letter back. No one wanted to discuss that. No one at all. And they were very reasoned letters, but just gotta be careful about what you're giving your money to because, yeah, it's their custom but it's barbaric and it ruins the rest of that girl's life. And so that uh, reluctance to talk about it um, runs deep. And I don't know if it's because people have had their own experiences or why, but I wanted to bring that up because I got nowhere with that, except that the organization never sent me another letter asking for money ever again when I told the guy on the phone 
<laughs> my experience was. Why, why were they asking you for money? Uh, because you do, they put, they have a whole school and the I mean, there's some very positive aspects and I had looked into it to see where, which organization your money went to where almost all of it was spent, you know, cause you give money like to the Red Cross and only a small percentage gets to anyone because they have so, so many administrators. I didn't want to do that. So she went to school, um, but not long enough. <laughs> and, um, and this was supposed to be the best of all the agencies. It's just that they didn't tell us that. And I found it horrifying. And it was in Kenya. And in Kenya, they do do clitoridect. I looked into the whole thing, and yes, um, that was still a part of their culture, but I did not a part I wanted to participate in or have anything to do with. Yeah, and I think that that plays into why people, at least part of why people don't want to talk about these things, specifically with that issue. So the, on the one hand, you've got things like QAnon, that if you come out in support of the Save the Children movement on any capacity, you run the risk of someone associating you now with QAnon. You run the risk of someone thinking that you believe everything they say or that you believe- with the group. Right, that you're part of the group, that you're a supporter, et cetera. And then so more specifically with that example you brought up, in instances like that, you run the risk of someone thinking that you personally want to go against certain cultural norms or beliefs in, in something like that, right? Even though- And I most, do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and that's the whole part, because you can't, I remember a woman who had written a book and she was speaking at this church and she had written that all cultures should be regarded as equal and as, um, you know, not that one had more negative aspects than another. And so I brought up this case to her and said, yeah, but I think there's some things in some cultures we, we, we just can't level them all off when we I mean, have something like this. And she was shocked. She'd never thought about this, but at least she was open to it. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd compare this to giving them like a more extreme example of like, well, all the, you know, deformed babies just get thrown in a well in old Greek history, right? Not a well, a, a baby pit basically. But when you have like extreme things like that in a culture it's it's probably best to evolve <laughs> right and so i think those views are very widely held that that all cultures are equal and all culture cultures are good i think so this is my personal belief but i i agree that there are certain aspects of certain cultures that are objectively bad and objectively should be ridden from those cultures. So Hillbilly Elegy, I'll throw a plug in there because I really enjoyed it. Hillbilly Elegy was a good book that I would recommend. It was written by someone who grew up in the South and then distanced themselves from their culture and their family to go from what they described as hillbilly culture to then the stereotypical you know, college kid and college kid culture. And he then relayed to the reader different cultural aspects of what he called, quote unquote, hillbilly culture that were then objectively bad that, you know, for example, his, his grandmother poured gasoline on his grandfather and lit him on fire. And in his community, that really wasn't written off as that strange. But anyway, Hillbilly Elegy, I would definitely recommend it. It's a good book. And it, and it speaks to this idea that not all cultures are quote unquote good and should be regarded as equal. But I think because that idea is so widely regarded, things like this are hush hush and don't talk about it because then it gets into, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't support this organization because that's, this organization supports female genital mutil mutilation or different things like that it just becomes a much more heated issue. I think even everybody here is sort of uncomfortable with even saying that as it is, but I don't know if the the listeners know uh, how horrendous this is. Essentially, they remove the clitoris. The pleasure like, of the female is therefore removed. So this is like a life-altering thing that is just monstrous. Just by saying clitoridectomy, I don't think uh, we give that enough justice to for the any listener to understand without looking into it. Right. And many children die because of it, because it's very young. It's done when they're about 11. 
women come into this country to do it. People who come from cultures where that's accustomed and they're not going to get a man in their culture to marry unless they have it. And so it's not that it's not done here. I saw a show just the other night where it was an issue and the detectives were trying to stop it. I, I, it's very, I think it's relatively rare here, I would hope, but it is within cultures where that's, that's the norm. This is something that I think is one positive repercussion of the Save the Children movement, is I could see it over time spiraling into these other directions to where children could be helped in other ways outside of sex, sex trafficking and, and pedophilia. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if given enough time and given enough convictions of people, eventually the movement will move on to the next, you know, sexy topic that may very well be something along these lines. So maybe the Save the Children movement moves to those children and aims to help in some other way. It's hard to tell where the movement will go because it's so new and so right. widely. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if things like this start coming up and at the very least visibility and awareness of these issues starts increasing. Because I hadn't even known before college, I didn't know that female genital mutilation was a thing. And it's often compared to circumcision, but it's clearly very different. They're very different things. And one is much more horrendous and much more a violation of human rights than the other. But things like this, you know, for those that either don't go to college or don't educate themselves on issues like this, these movements are a way to increase their education and understanding of these topics, albeit at the risk of also pushing forward a lot of mis and disinformation as well. I completely agree. I would definitely say that the education, educating yourselves would definitely begin to lead the conversation towards the actual truth and things that need to be advocated for, things that need to be brought to light. Because unfortunately, I don't think that if 2020 was going, quote unquote, according to plan, that this would have caught as much steam as it is now, unfortunately, uh, whether it be unfortunately or unfortunately. The pandemic, just like it has increased people's political advocacy and their involvement in political issues and, and civil rights movements and things like that, people have more time to look at social media and these things that pop up and then allows them to learn about these issues going on. I do feel like we would be remiss to not talk about some of the updates on the Epstein case, at least alleged updates and, and things that have come up at times, you know, especially with presidents and and presidential candidates, you know, Trump and Clinton specifically have been tied into this web of Epstein and Epstein's Island. Mm -hmm. And so originally, what had been circling around were these photos of Epstein and Clinton and photos of Epstein and Trump. And it's true that they knew each other, they were either acquaintances or friends or whatever they would consider each other. But I think the important details that have been maybe not released because maybe they had been known for a longer time, but at least brought to more of the public's eye more recently were that on Trump's side, he had actually allegedly banned Epstein from Mar-a-Lago for allegedly hitting on an underage girl there. Mm -hmm and had broken ties with him, I believe that was in 07. Um, and so that would then track with his statements that he hasn't talked to him in, in over a decade, and he hasn't ever been to the island. And so who knows if that's true or not. And then on the flip side, Clinton, photos have surfaced of Clinton receiving a sh shoulder massage from one of Epstein's accusers. Of course. Regardless of how much winds up being true and who actually winds up being involved in this operation that Epstein had going on, it is definitely more deeply rooted than it seemed to be at its onset. Especially when you have lawyers posing as uh, FedEx uh, delivery drivers to put, quote unquote, a hit on Supreme Court justices. Yeah, and there are some heavy hitter names on, on the Black Book as well. Some of them not necessarily involved in the in sex trafficking. And so this is the point where it's important to make a distinction between fact and allegation. You don't want to make baseless accusations against someone. So the one that had come up that I saw that I thought was more ridiculous than others, um, Stephen Hawking was a name that had come up in the in the book as well as having been to Epstein's Island. Epstein hosted a, a conference at one point on that island. And so a lot of big name scientists were there, including Hawking. And so the, it's things like that, that it's important to make a distinction 
between we know this person was involved in X, Y, or Z, or they're simply alleged to be involved in X, Y, and Z and to not make baseless accusations. Uh, looks like someone wants to chime in a little bit. Yeah, I just sure. wanted to, um, and this probably <laughs> shows that I'm older, but I had never heard of Cardi B or <laughs> seen her. And then, of course, when Biden had her as his first interviewer, I wanted to see what this whack was all about. And I watched it. And <laughs> I couldn't help but wonder, how does that impact those young girls watching this? I mean, I think Gloria Steinem would fall over. <laughs> this was not how she saw female liberation. Um, and I just wondered what you thought, because it's, it's again like the first thing that you mentioned, only it's far worse, but it became a part of this whole democratic platform, really, because she was brought into such prominence. And I just keep thinking, how does that impact if you have a 12-year-old watching this? And um, I, I couldn't even write the whole words on Facebook because it would have been banned and I would have had another banned entry. So I just, I'd put, instead of whole, I'd write W-H blank blank R-E. And so I was curious about that because uh, I think it ties into all this. It's the acceptance of woman as whore, basically. So in regards to the, the WAP song or WAP song created by, I think, Miss Cardi B and Meg The Stallion, I guess a lot, and a lot of people brought that up. A lot of uh, individuals said, how do you want to speak on different topics, but then put out images like this? And a response, and many people's responses, is not, it's not necessarily the student's job to protect the information that wants to be put out. Like many people say, this is adult, this is adult content made for adults. If children see it, many people say it's the parent's fault. And it's interesting because the FCC has tracked down many different media platforms that kind of have skated the line of what's allowed. So one, I guess, notable comparison in regards to adult content and seeing having kids see it would be, um, I believe it's a family guy. And family guy has been known to either have the most anti-Semitic jokes or the most racist jokes or, the, you know, uh, adult content being said or the language itself. And many people are saying, granted, these, these individuals, these 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, what have you, are seeing this information and interpreting it and you know looking at themselves in the mirror and saying how do I how come I don't look like this I believe it can tie into what we're talking about but since we're also bringing up the concept of pedophilia and sex trafficking I don't think it's the girls it's I, you can't blame the young girl for seeing that information for why they got taken you see what I'm saying you can't it's not saying that because that she watched this and felt insecure and changed her body that's why she got abducted well and I don't think you should ever blame the victim ever but I just sometimes think that so because so much of the trafficking starts on the internet that it makes them more open and naive about what a signal might mean, you know, mm -hmm. that someone else would go, oh my God, he did that? No. But it would be like, oh yeah, it's like pretty B. <laughs> well, I think you really with kids, right? 12 and older right becoming teenagers they're all on trying to fast track themselves to adulthood so it's natural you know that they want to be the most beautiful most desired person or something like that so falling into these role models yes these trends exist where they they'd like to get there but i don't think it's an unnatural thing i don't think i think any time no matter what the is in pop culture you're always going to have a golden calf for the 12 year old to look forward to right yeah, definitely. I think there's a difference between something like uh, WAP and something like Cuties. Because on the one hand with WAP, you've got adults. I'm talking about adult things. Right. Mm. And then the children seeing that is more... Now, is it good? No, just like it's not good that children have access to porn. And just like it's not good that children have access to all number of whether you want to say immoral or bad or what have you things. Um, but I think that is less the responsibility of, I don't know, I want to say less the responsibility of society and people to condemn the action itself and more the responsibility of the parent. Yeah, of the parent in that instance. Now with cuties. Yeah, I agree. I think there's too yeah. many of us that allowed for cuties. I am disgusted that so many people, whether it be in ties or, or, or in shoes that said, 
okay to this. I, I bring I bring fault to the parent, the corporation, Netflix as well, because they knew of these allegations of the, I think it was the director or the producer, and then still continue, like it's still coming on August 2nd. Like it's still going to be on as, as far as I've seen. And that's like, to me, that's abhorrent. And I couldn't imagine how that is even being uh, portrayed or how it's being uh, marketed. It says that the creator of Cuties stands by her work. At least anecdotally from this one article, she seems to be fine with what she's created. And it seems like it's maybe a marketing issue than, you know, the content itself. Mm-hmm. So at least from her standpoint. So I find that interesting because I think the assumption being, oh, this is a predatory show made by predators. Apparently this is, you know, the artistic expression of a female specifically. Right. And I think it's it's also important to remember that it, it's French, um, not to overgeneralize, but they're <laughs> well, much more. Let's they're... call it what it is. It's French. So yeah. there's that too. <laughs> they're, they're more, <laughs> they're much more open to, you know, things that are sexual in nature in media and things like that get by a lot easier than in America and, and at least get less criticism. Of course, I mean, but I mean, in regards to marketing, I mean, whether it be a female or male, and this is the perspective that when you put out an issue labels as art, art's free up to the interpretation. You can see uh, a naked woman and then call out for nudity or see it as art. But I guess within our culture, because of how connected we are to society, it's jarring for us to see, I guess, 11-year-olds in that. I guess I, I can't imagine. Agreed. Agreed. We have certain societal standards. Right. And I, so. I, don't, I don't necessarily see the way it could be marketed, quote unquote, better. But I still feel as if that, and granted, I, so I also come from a background of arts and uh, the arts in regards to dance and whatnot. And granted, twerking and, and stepping and this all comes from the same premise all about dance. And it's, if it's focused on dance, that's like the heart of it. But in a culture where WAP comes out, where a parent sees WAP and then they see their kid doing this based off of a Netflix show. And then you have all these these talks about pedophilia going on. It, it, it's disturbing for many parents and which conjures up this conversation. Sure. And I'm going to say her name, Maimuna Decor, I think. So I, I at least had to try it. But I think as someone who grew up watching Britney Spears and very, you know, provocative dancing, and it was the same argument 20 years ago, how is this affecting our little girls? Oh my God, it's, it's not a new argument. This is a very old argument. And one thing I personally remember from being one of those little girls that everyone was so scared of, I was going to get ruined. No one asked me. Why don't we ask the kids how they feel about it and how they're going to be affected by it or how they think it affects them? Because quite honestly, as long as you instill other values in children, like it's not just about your size, excuse my language, or how much makeup you wear. It's about being curious intellectually or creatively. You teach them to value other stuff, and then they're sort of inoculated from this kind of silliness that you see on TV because they've already learned well, that's not the only thing you have to value. It's one thing that some weird adults value, but I don't have to value that in myself. And I can look towards, you know, other skill sets to bring me self-esteem, basically. That was eloquently said. That was perfect. I, I yeah. like that idea. And I think within this culture, the idea of asking kids a question about the world they live in is definitely not one that I remember growing up in. <laughs> I don't remember. No one ever uh, asks kids you know, how they feel about them. No, and they don't in schools either, and they should. Everybody assumed this one program was too old-fashioned to teach reading, and it was too, too, too staid. And 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 the students who struggled the most with reading, who had it, there was like a little. They would circle cartoon faces, smiling or just nothing, or frowning or angry. And and when we ask them how they felt about their reading program and about books and about their reading teacher. They were so positive compared to most students who are in more whole language programs and um, weren't as successful as they were able to be because of the way the curriculum was written. And I've always thought, why don't we ask kids more often questions about the things they're experiencing? And your Britney Spears, for me, it was my mother turned the TV off of Elvis Presley. She thought his hips moving was gonna, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, ridiculous. 
every every era has their cultural norms and what is and isn't acceptable and that shifts over time and where that shifts is mostly up to the people but it's almost inevitable that certain things will come out and sexuality is one of them so i just wanted to jump in really quick and say so we have five minutes left on this meeting so i just wanted to give everyone a chance to say what they think needs saying about these issues Sure. I'll whatever. jump in as a female and say, you know, there's usually a lot of talk about how women should act and what does this mean and what is feminism and if you're too slutty, you're not a feminist and if you're not embracing your sexuality, you're not a feminist. To me, allowing females to make up their mind for whatever they want to do, that's the most feminist thing you can do is stay out of it and stop acting like you know their mind better than they do because it infantilizes women and sort of puts them in this box of, you're tantamount to a little kid, you don't know what's good for you, so let me tell you. Leave her alone. Let, let her make her own choices, if you want to be a real feminist, in my opinion. My, my big thing uh, that I was raising, did my hand raise for was uh, the beauty pageants in the U.S. are something that we do do that the world thinks the same way about, right? Yeah, so absolutely. back when you were talking about, you know, like how we view the French culture, like they, they kind of goes both ways because if we're talking about the U S child beauty pageant, the honey boo boo lifestyle mm -hmm. and everything like that, like we're a little messed up too there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I, I would like to say, and I think that's almost a point I've always stood on and that's, you know, to be quote unquote cool and say, Oh, I was, I wasn't okay with this before it got popular, but I've, I remember, you know, many people watch like the honey boobas and the pageantry and the dance groups. And I've always kind of disturbed, not because I have a problem with watching. I was like, why, why? I never understood why it was so, uh, and granted, I, I don't come from the culture, but it's a very huge uh, tradition uh, to have the pageants of like, I just always never clicked what I always thought it was like, you know, putting on the makeup was more of like a matured woman thing. And many people was like saying that I was, my perspective was an older one. And many people like, maybe I, I remember one person, actually this person would like to remain anonymous, he said, maybe this is just the shift of the world. And just like how almost Elvis came and, and, and that almost changed the shift of how people looked at how that image was displayed. Maybe this was a new type of image trying to be imposed and accepted into America. And I guess that's another question. Like, do you want this type of change to be inside the American culture? Well, I know that when I was in um, Georgia and I had a consulting job there for three years, I was shocked to find out each of their schools had one of those beauty pageants. And then there was a beauty queen who was elected and her picture was, was hung as you walked in the doors. And so um, it seems much more of the Southern culture than up here. I mean, I've never seen anything like that up in the Midwest or North, but it's very much a part of, of, of culture down there. And I, I agree with your feelings about it because I've always kind of felt squirmy. Yeah, and it's definitely a big part of American culture, too. It, just the idea of the beauty pageants and the child beauty pageants. Thank you all for joining us for this conversation on the Save the Children movement and pedophilia and sex trafficking. We definitely covered a lot of different topics that we wanted to and a lot that I didn't even foresee coming up, but that relate and needed saying. All right, so with that, we'll call it a night. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Say What Needs and on Instagram and Facebook at Say What Needs Saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast. Don't forget to continue the discussion. Thank you for listening. Thanks. <laughs>